Hello, and thank you so much for tuning back in to episode 16, part one with Veronica Funk. We just had way too much fun chatting, and so this is a two-part series. I did want to throw out there, do you like part one and part two, or would you rather have extended episodes when this happens? Please email me at d at fragmentors.com, that's d-e-a at fragmentors.com, or find us in the Facebook group and we'll talk about it in there. All right, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Hello and welcome back to Fragmenters. I am super excited to be joined here by Veronica Funk. She was brought to my attention by a somewhat mutual acquaintance (laughs) to each other. But when I saw her um, exhibit that she's currently working on, I just knew that she had to be on this podcast speaking to you guys. So Veronica Funk is a professional artist and say hello. Hello, everyone. So you don't just do painting. You were telling me you do some writing and some other things. Yeah, I also teach. One of the things I'm doing now is I'm a mentor through Mastrius.com. And it's just small groups of emerging artists that are that partner up with a professional artist and we just go through whether that's demonstrations or talking about the business of art and that's the thing actually I like sharing the most because that I find is one of the hardest things to to learn is how to take creativity and make a business of it right oh yeah that's it's awesome to know that that's out there because when you said that you were teaching, I thought you meant you were teaching like the artistic craft, but actually teaching people how to branch out and make money from their passion. That's Mm -hmm. even better. Even I'm even more excited to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you, I'm guessing you didn't have this class for yourself. So how did you go about turning your art into your business? Well, I went to art school back in the 80s. I studied art and design. And at that time, you know, we were constantly told, you know, you're going to be a starving artist, Mm -hmm. you know, all this. And this is, you know, pre-digital era and everything. So it was a lot more difficult at the time. But I just made a point of visiting gallery openings, talking to artists, finding out you know, what the options were, looking around and seeing what all the different options were as an artist. And I've found for myself, having several income streams keeps my income more balanced. So that has been really important. And plus, I'm able to try different things and then find out what works for me and then do that, you know, so that I'm not just doing one thing, because painting can be a very lonely and isolated profession. I can imagine. But so I still and I do volunteer and I'm out in the community and I have been in business for many years prior to do a you know take the final leap into a full-time career in the last probably 10 years. Yeah. So did you know this was what you were gonna do when you grew up? Did you always know? 
Um, I always was creative. You know, I grew up in northern Manitoba, so it was a predominantly Cree and Métis community. And we learned about, you know, beading and weaving and, you know, making things with your hands. And I always loved that. I always wanted to draw. In fact, when I was little in elementary school, I was named after the Archie comics because my parents are immigrants from South America and my mom learned how to read through the Archie comics. So that's oh. where Veronica comes from. And so I started in elementary school by copying the Archie comics, drawing Veronica and Betty all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, but I tried everything, you know, sewing, knitting. In fact, I was invited to be in an art, um, sorry, uh, fashion design program in Toronto, which I never did attend. <laughs> Oddly enough, my youngest daughter did study fashion design, you know, a few years ago. But it's been interesting. There's always been this need in me to create. The other thing is I'm a huge, huge reader. Mm -hmm. And so my work has become, has evolved over time to be more than just the imagery. It's about storytelling. And I call myself an amplifier of women's voices because a number of my projects over the last, gosh, seven or eight years have all been focused on female portraits and the stories behind the portraits. So since you brought it up, why don't you talk about the one you're currently working on? My current one is called Woman's Work, and I'm still looking for women. And what I'm asking uh, women to share, it, it, originally it was, I wanted to share the challenges and celebrations of women through the pandemic, because we know that women have been disproportionately affected by job loss through the pandemic, whether that is they were stuck in a caregiver role or just, you know, first ones chopped, you know, in roles in business. I first was looking for stories of women who had experienced that. And then I realized, you know, it needs to be broader than that. It needs to be focusing on the value that women contribute to our society. And I can't remember which country it was. Was it Finland or something? Every woman in that country went on strike one time for several weeks and the country just <laughs> collapsed. You know, nobody went to work. Nobody was taking care of the kids. Nobody was teaching. Nobody was, you know, mm -hmm. doing all the things, right? And now they finally have equalization, equal pay, you know, equal roles for men and women in business and everything. So I, I really think it's important to share the value of what women contribute. And it can be, as a homemaker, it can be like, my first project was called Nasty Women. And <laughs> I did 100 portraits in 100 days. And I had women, I just put out a call and asked if women would be fine with me painting their portrait. And so I had everything from our mayor at that time who who uh, contributed to, you know, university students. So and grandmothers and, and, you know, new moms. And it was just fantastic. So, you know, I just keep going on that. And my last project was called The Grandmothers. And I started it before pandemic hit. And then when pandemic hit, it became even more important to share these pictures, images, and the stories of these women that came before us and what was, fascinating is to learn like some of these women one of them smelted rivets 
on the docks in Vancouver during the Second World War for the massive ships. Um, Another one in the States, her mother or grandmother, her husband had left her with seven kids. And, you know, at that time, women, it wasn't easy for a woman to get a job and make an income. So (laughs) she started a still in the uh, dirty 30s. and sold alcohol but she raised all her kids you know and ended up eventually buying a gas station and was able to support herself and her family and I think that's fantastic so you know not even women today but women before us have done so much for us and we're so I am so grateful for that there's still so far to go I didn't expect to you know I was born in the 60s I didn't expect to still be having this conversation, you know, in 2022, but, and I'm a mother of daughters as well, two daughters and man, they are empowered. They are outspoken. And I just love that. I want women to speak up. Yep. And that's uh, part of why this podcast has been born because we need to speak up and say, Hey, we've done it. You can do it. Not only that, but we're breaking the the cycle of where there's only so many seats at the table and we know barely any women are going to get them. So they would be cutthroat and they would like undercut each other. And I'm feeling and feel like this will also help get rid of that. And we're growing and we're holding hands instead of stabbing each other and getting people. That is very interesting that you say that because I have found the more I collaborate with other women, the more success I receive. And I think it's that relationship and we lift each other up and hold each other up. And I think that's false information we've received in the past Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, that there's only space for one. There isn't only space for one. It's just, we believed that story, right? Right. Yeah. And I just feel like the more that people hear, because I've met, I don't know how many interviews I've done, probably you're like between 15 and 20th women that I've met. None of them were bitches. I'm just throwing (laughs) it out there. Everybody has been super excited, has wanted to give and give out all the information they can to help grow the younger generation or even the older women who have been too scared to do it. Every woman I've talked to and not just interviewed, but that I've been talking to emailing and DMS and whatnot, I've not had any resistance. So that is definitely something that we have been fed that I want to get out there. This is not the case. And you know, it's interesting, like, you know, I, and I think the The other thing that we are led to believe is if we don't all get along with each other, we obviously, it's a woman thing. No, no, no. That's a people thing. It's a humanity thing, right? You're going to like some people. You're not going to like some people. You're going to like some types of artwork or retail stuff. You're not going to like others. It's just human nature, right? And so that's another farce, (laughs) you know, so that if you don't love every woman, then you're misogynistic. Well, no. I'm a person, but honestly, there are very few women I've met in my life that I don't admire in some way, even Mm -hmm. the ones that I don't, you know, necessarily agree with or get along with personally, right? There's something about them as a person that contributes. And we're so fortunate to have that contribution here. 
Right. Well, and it takes all kinds of people. Yeah. It really does. If even if I don't agree with you or sorry, I have fidgeters. I dropped it. <laughs> um, even if I don't agree with you or don't aspire for the same things that you do, mm-hmm. I still respect the hell out of you yeah. for yeah. following your passion and following your beliefs. And I wasn't raised the same way you are. So you can believe things that I don't. And I love having that discussion about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you leave and you're like, I understand where you're coming from. I just can't agree with you, but more power to you. So, you know, one thing that like, I've been very involved in my community here for the last 25 years, you know, I go to city council. I've been invited to sit on boards and sit in meetings and stuff. And Myself and another friend of mine, we started something creative, but to connect the arts and business community together, because, you know, it's such a fabulous, fabulous combination, Mm -hmm. you know, financial support and the creative. But um, I remember when we, the first couple of years, we heard a lot of all those bitches. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was just shocked because here we're trying to connect everybody instead of, you know, like somebody gets this, you know, leg up and another person doesn't unless they know somebody or, or whatever. And we just wanted to include and involve everyone. But it was funny because we had, but then we, we started our own board and then we had a male as the head of the board, who's an amazing, an amazing person. And he never got that pushback, but we did as women. And I always found that fascinating. And then our previous board director was our former mayor who was also female. She got it too. And I always, I I had to learn not to take that personally. You know, it just, I don't know why that started or where it started, but it's just such a shame, you know, that that has to happen. Yep. I've, I've, uh, talked about it actually in the podcast and I now I'm still human. So not every time, but mostly when I get that, it, Mm -hmm. it's a badge of honor because (laughs) what it, what being a bitch represents to me is that I am a leader. I am driven. I am authoritative. And all three of those words are good when men have them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in, yeah, mostly men connect or most people connect it with a male personality type, right? Mm-hmm. So now if I get called a bitch, most of the times I got to calm down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, once you're done processing, I'm like, that just shows that I am being a leader. I'll mm-hmm. assess, make sure that I wasn't over the top because yes. I am human, not because I'm a woman, not because I'm bleeding, but I'm mm-hmm. human. So I do get upset sometimes and can be overly obnoxious. But um, <laughs> I actually told someone on here because that was her biggest fear is being called a bitch. I was like, dude, write yourself a little name tag and wear it <laughs> for like a week. Just claim that. Don't let them use it. Claim it. It's ours now. I'm a bitch. And that means I'm a badass. Yeah. And it's interesting because over time, like over the years that stopped, but it was the first two years I think was, was really hard. It's, it's like people, and then maybe I've had this 
too early on for myself. I didn't want to draw too much attention to myself. I never put myself out there, even once the internet, you know, arrived mm -hmm. and social media and that I want, I was fine sharing my work. Well, even that I was nervous at first, and then I got more comfortable with that. But then through the years, galleries would tell me, we need a picture of you. We need to, people need to see you, you know, because they connect with the artist as much as with the artwork. And, and I had to get over that feeling of that's a vanity thing. Instead, think of it as a relationship thing. People want yes. to see you as a human being, right? So, yeah, so it's interesting how over time, what used to make me uncomfortable and that's the fun thing that I think that I get to do with Mastrius is help these like all of the people that I've been working all the groups I've worked with have been all women so far which love that yeah that's cool but, yeah and it's been to help them recognize it's okay like it's okay to share about yourself it's okay to share your struggles but you don't want to get stuck in that Mm -hmm. it's also okay to share your celebrations it's not bragging it's people want to celebrate with you mm -hmm. and that is important well it shows the humanism yes of someone yeah. yeah which we all are yeah so do you have you said that you didn't go to fashion school no obviously you are like a painter but um <laughs> do you have any formal education yeah, I studied art and design back in the mid 80s. And currently I've been in the last few years taking art history classes and other things like that. Just it's good for my brain. I love to keep learning. Yes, for sure. I think you actually told me that you went to school in the 80s. So I apologize for forgetting. It's <laughs> okay. Besides trying to figure out the business, unless that's really what it is, um, what has been your biggest obstacle in pursuing this? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. And, you know, it goes back to when I was in college, you know, we had this amazing, we'd always have these professional artists that came in to speak to us. And one of them, her name was, is Mary Pratt. And she's an artist from Eastern Canada. And she, phenomenal, like high realism. It's not the work I'm interested in creating myself, but I sure appreciate all the hard work that goes into it and large and she was painting scenes like the ta dining table after the family left you know half eaten fish and tin foil and dirty plates and stuff or unmade beds or you know scenes from around her home and her family as a mom and I remember after she left the professor told us um women can never be professional artists if they have a family Ugh. and that kind of art is never going to be you know like never going to be um relegated to you know the echelon these upper level art you know galleries and stuff like well it is you know her work is everywhere it's exhibited internationally you know but I remember and then even after that once I started getting to galleries I was told, you know, you should change this or do this like this, or oh, I was given so much advice and it was just all counterproductive. And I listened to it all and I tried to do it all. And I got myself in a financial bind because I was doing everything these people were telling me to do. And after 
uh, you know what? And so my work ended up on television and everything, which was great, but I was miserable. I hated it. And so I sold off and gave away all my supplies and studio equipment and decided that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to get a real career. And, and I had a really good career at that point and everything was great, but I ended up crying every day. Like I burst into tears at the dinner table right. and, and everything. And it was my daughters. They were young. I think was it like early middle school or something. And they said, mommy, you just need to paint. And, you know, that was just a light bulb moment for me. And I, it was then that I recognized I need to trust myself. I need to stop listening to all this, you know, possibly well-meaning advice and just trust my gut and do what I felt was important. And I know a number of years ago when I switched from the other work I was doing to these portraits and sharing the stories of these women, it was another huge adjustment. I lost, you know, representation because that's not what they were interested in and, mm -hmm. and stuff. But I am so glad I persevered because I have not felt so fulfilled in my life as I have by painting these portraits of women and sharing their stories. It's just the best thing, you know? So I'm, it, I went through some really bad situations but thank goodness for my daughters for telling me just to just to do it you know and you'll find your audience that's the big thing and you just do it and figure out where where it belongs afterwards mm -hmm. like I said takes all kinds of people <laughs> oh yeah yeah um so I want to touch on you said that you wanted to quit and get a real career <laughs> yeah. I have not I've heard so many people say that, and it's so hard for me because how is it that today, if you pursue your dreams, it's not a real career? Oh, I know. That, I mean, it doesn't even matter what they are when you think of it. If you are buying a car lot, you know, bringing in a car lot, or if you're an artist or doing a podcast, or usually it's artistic related, but just if you, want to be the top of the business chain, whatever it is. Like I said, it could be a car lot. It could be a store franchise, whatever people are like, just stick with your real job. Mm -hmm. As soon as you look at entrepreneurship, it's considered not real, I think. Right. And the arts are the worst for that, you know, for sure. And I have to say, like, I put in a lot more hours doing this than I did anything else in yeah. my past, but and, you know, and like any job, there are parts of the job you don't like to do, you know, it gets boring, you know, doing your banking and mm -hmm. all that. But at the same time, I get to decide where and when I'm going to do it. I can sit on my deck and do, you know, financials. I can, you know, I can move around. I can schedule my days and my time. And the big thing I found in that too, especially when my kids were younger, is that I could do school drop-offs and pickups. I could, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. I, I could fit this career into my life, into the and put all the important things where they needed to go, however I needed them to be. The big thing was 
I had to learn you can't just you can't not show up you have to show up you have to mm-hmm. like for me I have to get in my studio every single morning even if it's just to wrap something or prep something but I have to get in here and treat it like my business you know yeah yeah, yeah. it just I don't know where that quote unquote real job came from but it <laughs> as a uh, serial entrepreneur yeah. It drives me a little bit batty. Oh, me too. And you know what? The funny thing is that, you know, I heard in some of your other podcasts talking about, you know, like working for someone else. Yes, you might get a dedicated paycheck. Mm-hmm. The bad thing is you might not be treated well. You may not be, you know, feel like you're of any value, that you're disposable. And, mm-hmm. and not that I did feel that sometimes I did, but not always. And I learned some great stuff because I had management positions and stuff, but I learned business, a lot of the business side of stuff, which was really great. And especially when internet started, I learned web design and things like that, that I, it would have been harder to learn without, although nowadays with the, you know, drop and drag, drag and drop, it's so much nicer. Yes. But, you know, I did learn some valuable things, professional letter writing, things like that. But at the same token, I wish I would have trusted myself a lot sooner. But also, you know, the gallery world has changed over time. That used to be the galleries were the gatekeepers and there were only certain people that were allowed to exhibit there. And that has changed exponentially. Like not only the only certain people allowed to exhibit, but only certain people allowed to come in and purchase the work and view the work, right? So I'm so grateful for this huge shift. And the and you know, on the online world has really been a huge part of that too, because suddenly as an artist, I have things in my own control. I don't have to rely on someone else. I get to mm-hmm. do it myself. So a lot of it for free. Like you can start with a free platform and well, not only that, but instead of the, let's say, 500 people a day that walk through this gallery that potentially yeah. purchase your stuff, you have billions with a B of people that are now able to view and purchase your art. Oh, yeah. My work has ended up all over the world. And that is just so exciting for me. Yeah, that's way awesome. Way mm-hmm. awesome. So you talked about the hard part. Um, what has helped you the most? Um, honestly, I think it, you know, it's not just women who support me. There have been lots of men who have supported me Mm -hmm. in my career too, which has been phenomenal, but really it is this, actually these last, I think it's seven years that I've been doing portraits and it's the women, it's all these women that just are right there for me. And I feel like I'm not doing it alone, even though I'm doing the artwork, I feel like it's such a collaboration. Mm -hmm. So one thing I like about working for myself is scheduling my own time, figuring out my highs and lows and doing what I need to do when I need to do it. But it is lonely that way. And Mm -hmm. collaborating with all these women I don't feel so isolated and alone anymore. I feel connected. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it, it's not just the women who share their 
portraits and let me paint them or whatever. It's the women who send me those notes of encouragement and who show up at my exhibit openings and want to come and hug me and tell me I feel like we've known each other forever and you know mm -hmm. strangers even so I, I I think it's it is I feel empowered because of the women behind me it's made such a difference yeah I'm I'm noticing that it's I, I don't know if it's just me or if it's very common, but I, for the longest time, viewed not just women, but successful people or what I coin as successful people as other, as they're on this pedestal, you know, stuff like that. And I've talked with some women that years ago before therapy, I would have wet my pants before I even, <laughs> you know, had the gumption to say hi to them. And now yeah. I'm just reaching out to them. And I think it's because the more that I meet, the less pedestal there is the more, oh my gosh, you have kids, you've had to wipe poopy diapers while you were on the phone with someone, you know, it just, it really has helped me humanize. I keep saying that it's not even a word, but, um, yeah. humanizing people. Yeah. Um, so that I just, instead of treating, like when we see, uh, celebrities, mm -hmm. we expect them to be on point all the time. And we're like, oh my gosh, can you believe that their, you know, hair is all messed up or they cuss someone out or something like that. And when you really get down to it, they're just people. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what? And none of them have gotten where they were. Nobody no politician, no extremely successful business person without others, right? They all have had support, whether that's, you know, you know, traditionally men had, male artists had wives that scheduled things and wrote their letters and responded to things and booked things and, you know, even booked their dentist appointments and stuff, you know, and I know I've joked in the past that sometimes I say I need a wife, but <laughs> <laughs> I have a great partner, actually, great partner who is so supportive and he'll do whatever I need. He's, he's usually my, you know, he usually hauls stuff for me. He'll bring me, bring things anywhere. Cause I used to work predominantly large, you know, like four foot canvases and stuff. Oh, wow. So yeah, so doing these smaller pieces in larger groupings works better for me physically because I developed adhesive capsulitis in both my shoulders a few years ago. But um, it just, there's just something so great about taking something little and building and building and building on that to make something big, you know? And I think it's such a great metaphor for anything we do in life. You know, it's just, it is take that little step. So I couldn't do the big series anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started the portraits. And I'm so grateful, actually, that that shift happened. It was so good for me. It's, like I said before, it's just the most rewarding work I've ever done. Well, I was going to say to the other thing, besides the support of my husband to help keep me going, it's been my daughters, you know, now they're 22 and 28. And they're just, they help me to set boundaries and you know, like, they're just so encouraging. I'm so, so, you know, going back to college, when I was told, you know, women will never be successful as artists, if they have children, 
If not for my children, I don't think I would have the success I have today because they have kept me motivated and kept me going. That's awesome. And that's, I usually, um, you said you've listened. So I usually ask about kids because that's what we've heard for the longest time. You can't have it all. Mm -hmm. Rephrase, you can't do it all but you can yeah. have it all. Yeah. I can have my family. You just yeah. have to have those boundaries and you know, you say no to work when you need to and no to kids. Yeah. And it's it's not bad to tell your kids no sometimes so, I'm learning. <laughs> they need to learn that too. And mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things they learned and this was something really nice a, a friend an artist told me years ago. She said when your children see you put yourself first in your studio, they will put themselves first later too, instead of always, you know, traditionally it's, you know, mom's last and, you know, everybody else is cared for and fed and whatever, and mom is last. And yeah, uh, yeah. So the first thing I did when my girls were babies was get up really early and hit hit the studio. And that was even when I was working full time elsewhere. I went to the studio for the first two hours of my day. And it, I think it made me a better person anyway through the day, having spent that time on my own mm-hmm. doing something creative first. Yeah. So you worked for someone else yes. when you first had your kids. You just mentioned that. And then how was how was it transitioning while having kids and doing the parent thing? Was that easier, harder, just how life is? Well, I worked full time as a practice administrator and then um, in a dental office. And then I shifted to, what did I do? Like three major different positions. I can't even remember. It's been so long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I was a practice administrator. And the cool thing there was I got to bring in computers. I got to set up new systems. I got to help design renovations in two different practices, set up new filing systems. So I got always got to do creative things in in those roles, which was great. But then eventually I ended up shifting. Oh, I was at a church. I was a business manager at a church and I oversaw a two and a half million dollar construction project. And they were that was one thing that was really good. They let me bring my kids if I want needed to. They let me come and go. However, if I need to work from home, that was a really nice shift for me from having to be at the office, you know, eight to five, Monday to Friday, you know, to this more flexible. And then after that, I realized, you know, it was after I had my, you know, crying days. Well, I thought I was clinically depressed actually at that point because clinical depression is in my family history. There's alcoholism, suicide, you name it. And I thought, oh, now this is it. I am, I'm at that stage in this, in my life, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. that it was my art. I just needed to be creative. But when I started painting again, I realized I left that position at the church and it's when I realized if I work for somebody else, it needs to be creative. It needs to be revolve around the arts. So our public library and our city um, reached out to me and they were creating this role in arts and culture coordinator at the public library. So I worked there. I did that for almost 10 years. And 
but during that time, I started reducing my time and mm-hmm. increasing my time working for myself. And it was great because it, you know, I got to be involved. I got to contribute to the community and everything, but I just found, you know, and I was sitting on, like I said, different boards and committees and stuff, but <laughs> I felt like I was just in, running in too many directions. And, and I love my children. Like my eldest is a teacher down South and she's studying neuroscience and early childhood brain development in, Oh wow. Uh, yeah. In, for her master's. And then my youngest is an honors history major. And it's just interesting to hear these two different perspectives share their experiences and everything with me. And, and I found that I was missing that talking with my kids time because I was just so busy for a while. Mm-hmm. So then I gave up the position and I just started doing this full time. And I'm just been happy the last, oh my gosh, I don't know how many years it's been, but it's been a while. And it's so nice. You know, if like one of my daughters, the youngest is just coming back from a Holocaust Memorial tour in Europe, and I can be at the airport to pick her up today, you know, Mm -hmm. I get stuff like that. That to me is so important. Yeah. My family, my art, those are the two things that matter most in me or not just my art, artwork in general even writing anything in the arts. That's all the right. most important. Yeah. So I guess having a real job means it's inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I feel like. Yeah. Does it make you feel sad? That's a real job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I, I know for years, I guess I didn't consider what I do as real because it wasn't a steady income all the time you know one month I'd make enough to buy myself a brand new car and the next month just barely enough to you know mm-hmm. buy a few groceries so you know it was so it fluctuated so drastically and some of it was because I was at the whim of galleries right when yeah. they show that's when I'd make my money so but that's changed so much and it's a great world we're in as far as, you know, social media and everything. There are other challenges, I guess, that come with that too, but, mm-hmm. but that's a big thing, but yeah. And so now, um, after I left the library, I realized, you know what, I need to treat this role. Like I treated that role, you know, I've got to get on and do research. I've got to do my paperwork. I've got to pay paint every day which I was doing anyway so that's the easy part for me mm-hmm. it's the rest of it that you know I can and I can't my husband is an accountant and he always tells me you can't give everything away you know there is value in what you have to contribute and yes and it's like people make money all the time you know giving talks so I do that too I give you know talks and as I love because it's I do the other stuff just part-time, whereas I paint full-time and I love yeah. that. It's a That's great awesome. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this is the end of part one with Veronica Funk and Dina. Come back next week, Wednesday, and you will get part two. Thanks again. Bye. 
Oh my gosh, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. To continue this and more conversations, you can always find me at d at fragmenters.com. That's D-E-A at fragmenters.com on Instagram and Facebook at Fragmenters. And I also have a Facebook group called Fragmenters where all the ladies with like-minded business sense hang out and enjoy. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right stuff.